Welcome to the Classroom to Boardroom podcast. If you are a teacher or administrator looking to change careers, you are in the right place. There can be many reasons an educator is ready to leave the classroom. Boredom, burnout, pressure from parents and administrators, the list goes on and on. If you are ready to move on from teaching, there are many roles in which you can use your teacher skill set to have a positive social impact and set yourself up for a fulfilling and rewarding career. Now, let's meet your host, Carrie Conover. Carrie is a veteran educator and EdTech corporate leader turned founder and CEO. So grab your notepad because your new journey outside the classroom starts right now. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm so excited for you to share your story through classroom to boardroom with our audience today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to to be here, Carrie. So, Natalie, you are were a neighbor of mine. You grew up in a Chicago yes. suburb, and you recently moved to San Diego, which is super exciting. Um, mm-hmm. I know you had spent six years te- teaching English in a private school here in Chicago, and now mm-hmm. you are a professional learning specialist for paper, and yeah. you have a little doggy. What's your dog's name? Yeah. His name's Ori, and he's like a German Shepherd rescue, so like oh, my child. Because he, <laughs> he looks like an Oreo. Um, it's actually a character from a game, and oh. it might. He has huge ears, kind of like like Dobby the house elf from Harry Potter, kind of. But uh, the character also has really big ears, so that's where it comes uh, from. That's cute. I love that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, like you, like your general story of your your career. Yeah, of course. So I feel like my education career actually started even back when I went to school, since when I went to college, my main goal was to really study education. So I went to Boston College, I got my uh, degree in secondary education in English, and then I actually stayed to get my master's in curriculum and instruction and taught, you know, for a little bit through my uh, teaching experiences and things in Boston public schools. And then after I got my master's, I got hired at my school that I worked at in Chicago, which was a smaller private school. And I really got thrown into into the teaching experience really quickly. I had five different preps and I got hired like two weeks before school started or three weeks maybe. So really baptism by fire into classroom teaching there. But I had a great experience. I was able to redesign a lot of our curriculum with our team, which was super fun. One of my favorite things to do. And then just recently, as of this August, I became a professional learning specialist at a company called Paper. So it's very teacher facing. So now I'm working on teacher professional development. So that's like really my career in, in a short nutshell, I would say. You know, I have to say, so I have a son who is a new freshman in high school. He's a freshman. And I went to his curriculum night and I like, because I, I always taught elementary. So I went to his curriculum okay. night and uh, first of all, I'm just blown away how much high school has changed since I went to high school. But the one class where I was like, wow, it is very different was his English class. Like mm-hmm. she was going over like the syllabus for the semester. And I'm like, I don't think I did some of the things he's doing as a freshman until I was in college myself. It is just yeah. more intense and more, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm glad he's doing those things younger because you need to go to college right. with analytical skills and stuff. But of course. I was I was blown away and admire teenagers this these days because they do face a lot more pressure than I ever did. Oh yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And yeah, we like revamped the whole curriculum. So I feel like when I got there it was like super traditional to what I had. And then by the time I left me and my department chair and a lot of our other English department members, we kind of dismantled the whole thing and built it from the ground up again. But yeah, definitely a huge emphasis now on really starting a lot of those skills earlier. But I think now there's a lot more variety in texts and yes. kind of more interesting things. So it makes it a yes. little bit easier, but I totally agree with you. And I think English teachers seem to do a better job like relating things back to the kids' lives. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know I did. <laughs> I remember reading like Greek mythology it's easier. just being like, yeah. Yeah, this is going straight over my head. So anyway, yeah. um, okay. So let's talk about this journey of yours. Like, how did you know you sure. wanted to do something other than teaching that it was kind of the end of the road for you as far as teaching goes? Yeah. So it was definitely not an easy decision. I think it's something that I didn't come arrive to necessarily, I guess, all at once. So I think a huge part of it for me was did have to really do with my mental health. That's kind of where I reached a point where I said, okay, I need to take a break. But I I mentioned, you know, my first year was very chaotic. I had five completely different preps. I got hired really late. I was just feeling like I was barely keeping myself afloat. And, you know, they always say the first year is the hardest of teaching. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm be fine. And then I was like, oh my God, they were correct. But, um, (laughs) Yeah, I was like, that was the most tired I've ever been. But I really thought after that first year, like everything would be totally like smooth sailing. And a lot of it was. But the one thing that never changed was I felt like I was just on the job all the time, that I didn't really have any time for myself. You know, in addition to my teaching, I was also a soccer coach for the girls. And many of the years I was there, I was also a boys and girls soccer coach. So both seasons. And then I was a head debate coach. So a lot of times I wasn't getting home, yeah, till like really late at night and it would eat up at least half my weekends each month. And so I just really reached a point where I wasn't taking care of myself. And so that was a huge reason why I felt like I at least needed a break to get some better work-life balance and to get a little bit less stressed because I always felt like stressed. If I wasn't working when I came home, I was like, oh, I have to grade that paper. Or, oh, I have to revamp that lesson or whatever it was. Um, And then part of it was financial. Um, I was working at a small private school. And part of the reason why I did all those extra things was to supplement my my income. And so it was hard to to say, well, if I just take those off my plate, I'll have more time for myself, but my salary would have decreased a a decent amount. And um, I was thinking of going to a public school, but I didn't think it would necessarily fix the other sort of work-life balance issues that I was having and my own sort of mental health. And then after COVID and everything, I just kind of reached the limit for with both of those things. And then I was also incredibly frustrated with the whole education system after COVID. I mean, I feel like teachers frequently are kind of not respected and not supported. And that was so clear in sort of a lot of the responses post-COVID. And so then I kind of started feeling like maybe if I need a break, maybe I can do something at least in the education realm that's going to yeah. support teachers. So yeah. those are kind of 
a long explanation, but multifaceted reason why I got there. Well, yeah. And I think it, it's, it's really interesting what happened with COVID, right? In the height of COVID, teachers were the heroes. Right. right? And then all of a sudden, when we started getting back in classrooms, when teachers were trying to get back to normal, all of a sudden it something shifted. And I think, I think part totally. of it, in my opinion, is that kids were struggling with mental health. Parents were struggling with mental health. Kids weren't being supervised. Kids were, right. their, their structure was taken away. And then like, from what I'm hearing now, we're seeing a lot of like behavior and attention problems because kids aren't used to being in school and they're not used to listening to authority at all. Right. Um, and then like all of a sudden when teachers are trying to, you know, have classroom management, all of a sudden they're the villains, you know, and it's just, right. I don't know how we fix it, but believe me, I hear this same story from lots of teachers that come to me. So, um, so let's talk a yeah. little bit about <laughs> the guilt that people have oh, with yeah. in the classroom. Have you felt guilty about it? What, what's that process been like for you? Yeah, I, I actually, I'm really glad you're like this question even comes up because I think it's something that is so true for teachers when they leave. And I still routinely feel like I struggle with feeling guilty for leaving the classroom. And I really had to work to separate out for myself kind of, okay, I can miss parts of teaching. That's totally valid. Like I miss seeing the kids sometimes. I miss, well, all the time. I loved being in front of my students. That was my favorite part. Like I miss my department. Like those things are fine and normal when you change a job, but the guilt then I have to remind myself like that's maybe not fair that I'm feeling that, but I still struggle with that. I think part of it is that I feel I guess a sense of failure in some ways, right? Like I mentioned that I wanted I was thinking of education for a long time growing up and I studied it in college and I came out and I was super passionate about classroom teaching and I had all these, you know, like visions and then you always hear the statistics about all the teacher turnover rate. And I was like, nah, that's not going to be me. Like I'm going to be there. And then I was like, Ooh, statistic. Here I am. I'm meeting it like perfectly. So I feel like part of it was dealing with like feeling like I failed in some instances. Whereas the other part of it is I do feel like, I don't know the, if this is the best way to describe this, but I feel like a lot of education industry has some emotional manipulation in a sense. And I actually don't think it's intentional or malicious, but I think there's a lot of rhetoric around teaching that makes you feel so guilty about leaving. So I think, you know, on social media, you'll always see people posting things like, if you're a teacher and you're having a hard year, just remember like what you do it for. Remember the students that you impacted, where would they be if you weren't there? Or like, we don't do it for the money, like that sort of rhetoric, which is all coming from, I think, a very well-intentioned place. Yeah. But what I think the outcome ha then becomes is like, I'm not doing well myself mentally, but what does that mean? Like, I need to stay for my students. And so I think that can also really contribute to some of that, like, guilt. And I, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, teachers should just ignore if they're struggling because of the students or because of it's a calling and not a job. I I think instead we should look at what is causing so many teachers to have these feelings. And also like if so many people are feeling guilty for leaving, that probably means like if there are different circumstances, they might not be leaving. So I know we talk about teacher shortages a lot in our country, but I saw something interesting. I can't take credit for this, but I saw someone post something that said, 
you know, it's not a teacher shortage, it's a teacher push out. We're pushing people out of this profession because of the lack of support. And I thought that was really interesting. And that's what I try to remind myself when I'm feeling guilty and that, you know, I'm still doing something in education and maybe one day I'll go back, but this was the right time and I wouldn't have been a good teacher this year feeling the way I had felt at the end of last year. So that's the other thing I try to remind myself. You know, it's funny when I first started classroom to boardroom, I was like, oh man, am I going to hear from people like, oh, you're helping teachers leave teaching, like you're a hypocrite (laughs) or something because, you know, I have educators that helps teachers stay in teaching, by the way. Um, Right. Yeah, that's totally true. It is true. I can sleep at night because I work both sides of it. But yeah, you know, what's so interesting is when I um, like out on LinkedIn and out when I'm talking to people in education and ed tech, no one's ever ever said that to me because everybody knows why I'm doing what I'm doing and they see it right. as helping people. Yeah, for sure. The people who are like, oh, are friends who have kids yeah. because they're like, oh my, oh, we need to keep teachers in teaching, Carrie. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't understand what, go back and get a degree and go be a teacher then. Right. You know, right. like, I don't say that, but I'm like, if you are so worried about it, go be it, quit your job that you work at Morgan Stanley or whatever, and go be a teacher. And so then you know why people are leaving. Um, Yeah. Like if you have ever worked in a school or you work in ed tech, you know that what I'm doing is really trying to keep smart educators in education. I don't want you to go work for like, I don't know, the gap or whatever. I mean, if that's what you want to do, I want to do that, but you get my point. So, okay. Yeah. From the guilt part of it. Um, how did you go? Can you talk about the process? Like you were a teacher, you talked about this a little bit, but then like, how did, what was the process you went through until you got your first job at paper? Yeah. So I, well, obviously I think the first step was realizing that I needed to leave and then realizing kind of what I wanted to do in the education space. Cause I knew I didn't want to leave education entirely. And I wanted to take my frustrations with the system and, and especially around teaching and, and how we support teachers and try to find something where I felt like I could at least make a positive impact in some way. And so I think I started with just like making a list of like, okay, this is my ideal sort of job. This is where I want to stay. Um, and then sort of like, the needs that I was really trying to meet with the new job. Like, where was I really facing these frustrations with classroom teaching? And, you know, where can I fix those with a a different job in this educational space? And then also just, you know, making some lists of like dream ideals. So like, I remember I wrote down like, working remotely would be like a nice, it wasn't like a deal breaker for me, but um, I am working remotely. So that turned out well. (laughs) And then, um, yeah. And like, you know, salary, things like that. So I kind of did a lot of just like personal reflection. And then once I had that all set, I kind of feel like I went back to school a little bit because, oh my God, everything is so different, even for an educational company. Like I know how to write a resume for a teacher. I know how to interview for a classroom position. I know the lingo, the buzzwords, right? I know the different practices or whatever curriculum you want to call it. And then I was like, oh my God, I, even the language is is different. I don't know yeah. anything. <laughs> so I just spend a lot of time kind of relearning 
a lot of time revamping my resume. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there, like even free ones. Um, I feel like I watched a lot of YouTube of different <laughs> resumes, things like that. And then you always hear people say it, but I just spent a ton of my time, I feel like networking, reaching out to people. I've never, I never had spent time on LinkedIn when I was teaching ever. And yeah. then I felt like I was on LinkedIn like all the time, every day. So just talking to literally anyone that would agree to talk to me, got a lot of people from my colleagues who they knew that had left. Cause I think any conversation you can have is you find something useful for it. And then the big one for me after all of that, um, was really just finding communities of support because it can be very demoralizing. Like you send out a lot of resumes, you send out a lot of cover letters. It's a lot of time and you don't get a ton of return all the time. Um, I definitely had an ego boost at the beginning. It's like the first job I applied to. I got an interview. I did the first interview. I did the performance task. I got to the final interview. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm amazing. And then they were like, yeah, no, like you're not a fit for this role. And I was like, oh, okay. Guess it wasn't as easy as I thought. And then I didn't get like any interviews again for like months after that. So <laughs> I'm laughing <laughs> like, because I... it's like, it's, it, that is like almost worse, right? Cause you're like, you get your hopes up and you're like, yeah, I got like I it. I had, it all I worked out. In like, the end, though, but... It did. So once I kind of was getting that struggle, um, then when I was like, okay, I need some additional support. That's actually where I, I first joined educators to educators before I even knew about classroom to boardroom. And it was nice to just have like places to find people that were supportive or that would listen if I needed to like vent or whatever. And then that's how I found out about classroom to boardroom. And I was like, oh, wait, this is like a whole community of people doing exactly what I'm doing, yeah. but then getting support and then getting access. I think just opportunity and access is huge when you're trying to find a tra uh, job outside of classroom teaching. And I think that was like, I feel like um, once I joined classroom to boardroom the first month, like it just helped shift everything more into like more confidence. I got more interviews, some of them through classroom to boardroom and the ones that I didn't get, I felt more prepared for because I had like resources to fall back on. So that was kind of like the big process. And then also meet someone from the company that I got hired at who talked me through it as well. So um, yeah, those are kind of like the big things that I would that I said that I did to, to get to that, um, position of paper. I always love to hear people's stories of how they got to classroom to boardroom. Um, and I, I feel like an analogy I've been thinking about in my head is like, okay, you're thinking about making this change and going on this journey. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. you found, you found your purse in the house and then you dug in and you found your keys, you found your sunglasses, okay. you got in the car and you maybe started the car and then you found classroom to boardroom and classroom to boardroom, like let you push the gas pedal. It's like this analogy yeah. I've been thinking about, right? Because you can piece yeah. together little things from the internet and YouTube and other people's blogs and other people's podcasts and all of that. Like you can piece it together, but that's how I visualize classroom to boardroom is like, you do have a lot of the parts, but I'm the one that's going to help you push the gas pedal to the finish line. Yeah. Um, and we'll mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit later, but um yeah, but I yeah. think that's a I think that's a perfect like analogy. I definitely kind of mirrors the experience that I had for sure. And I think when you hear the other interviews of your colleagues that were in classroom to work <laughs> room with you that I've been doing recently, you'll hear a very very similar story because it is a financial commitment and I do that on purpose right. 
because I want people to, first of all, take the course, but also like make it meaningful. I always say I'm not running oh, like yeah. a, a teacher transition factory. I'm running a program where I want everyone to be successful. So anyway, okay. So let's actually, I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about like your day-to-day responsibilities. Like what do you do mm-hmm. in your job? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> like I mentioned, I'm what my title is a professional learning specialist. And so basically what that means is that I'm part of a team that is responsible for all of the teacher training and development for paper and for paper, I guess, just to give a little backstory on the company, cause it'll make more sense. Um, so paper is a educational tutoring and sort of, um, it's an educational tutoring service for students as well as sort of an educational partner, I guess is the best way to describe it. So we have 24 seven live chat-based tutoring sessions and a writing review center. So when a school district purchased paper, students have access to this 24 seven support for free and was really founded. And why I started there was this mission to provide equitable um, access to support outside of the classroom, right? Cause some students can afford tutoring, lots of students can't. This is a way that that makes that equitable and it provides another support for teachers to use in their classroom for like differentiation and uh, like feedback, things of that nature. So my day to day, what it really looks like is it changes a lot because it is still very much kind of in that startup realm phase. So we're growing a ton, which is really exciting. So I don't have like a very rigid day to day, but it usually will involve spending some time um, building out the professional development. So I'm on a team of seven and we're kind of responsible for all of the teacher development. So we also really are all former teachers and we all have sat through so many bad professional development, like just so boring. Oh yeah. So we're, yeah. (laughs) So we're really building out engaging, useful professional development for teachers. And then Another big chunk of my day would be leading some of those trainings. We do a lot of virtual training, but we also do a lot of on-site as well. So it does involve a decent amount of travel um, because I'll go into schools to do the trainings. Um, And then the other part of it is to develop resources and activities for teachers to utilize in their classrooms. Um, So like a whole slew of different from like using it for test corrections to using it for AP and we're trying to, you know, reach as many students as we possibly can and support teachers so they don't have to make new materials to use it in their classroom. And then the last piece is social media outreach. We do a lot of that as well. So um, a lot of time, you know, doing uh, creating content for Twitter, for Instagram, TikTok, things of that nature. Um, so that's kind of the last piece of my job. So it's wide encompassing, but that's, I guess, the best overview that I can give. I was just sitting here thinking like, I love having educators on the podcast because I can just ask a question and you just go like, (laughs) this job is, you make my job so easy. You're so articulate. And it's like, okay, well, I don't really have anything to add to that. So let's just keep on going. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm always like, I'm talking too much, but oh, oh my gosh, no. I always joke like I get sick of hearing my I get sick of hearing my voice and sick of seeing my face on video because I just like to look <laughs> at it all day long. So when someone else could do the talking, I'm in for it. So um can you just tell me a little bit about like how do you think you like looking back in your no new your no career, your new career <laughs> so far, how do you think you've like grown and changed the most professionally? 
Yeah, I think there are really two big areas that I feel like I've grown professionally the most. And that would be in my confidence would be the first, which kind of a weird thing to say. It's not like I wasn't confident when I was classroom teaching, but I feel like I always kind of struggled with imposter syndrome. Even when I was, you know, a seasoned teacher, I was always like, oh man, like, you know, I'm not, do- I'm not doing as much as everyone else, or I'm not doing what I like. I don't know. I always struggled with that. And I struggled with that when I first came to my job, but I think just the environment really helped push me to become more confident and really take ownership of a lot of the stuff that I was doing. And we're really building a team from the ground up and kind of saying, no, I do know what teachers need in a professional development and what we have right now isn't it. And so that was a huge way that I feel like I've grown. And then leadership kind of goes hand in hand in that. Again, it wasn't like I wasn't interested in leadership when I was classroom teaching. Um, Like I was a team lead for different things, but I also was very much like, I'm going to really focus on my classroom and what I'm doing. And with a startup culture and, you know, just a different working for a company and kind of the remote work culture as well. Like I have to be able to communicate and step up and take on projects and, it's been very exciting to do that. So I think I've also kind of grown in, in taking on those things and, and being a leader, even though I'm new, because um, they just, that's what the, the need is. So yeah, those two areas, I would say. You've always had an inver- an inner, I think when I think back to like our group coaching calls and just like getting to know you, you always had this like inner confidence and inner comfort. This is not going to be like, don't pretend you're not an English teacher right now. Okay. <laughs> ability in your own skin. If yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, I feel like, um, you know, not everybody has that, but when you have it, you don't realize that other people don't have it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I think so. You have like an ease to you. And I think that when you go into interviewing and you go into making a transition, the people that I see quickly get success quick are often people who are kind of just, they're energetic, they're positive, but they're cool, calm, and collected at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you always had that. That's not something I feel like if you have to work hard at that, I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think calm I, I feel like I have to work at sometimes but uh collected I like to think that that's something that I have but yeah I mean I I appreciate it that's that's always nice to hear yeah well we can't be calm all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially in a so. um okay. yeah that's true <laughs> the question I always you know selfishly like to ask is like how do you feel like classroom to- because a lot of times when people join classroom to boardroom. Like I actually had a call with someone today, a coaching call of someone that just joined classroom to boardroom. And she was like, why didn't I do this eight months ago when I started this journey? And I'm like, I don't know. It's (laughs) out there. But like, I like to ask this because it's better for my audience to hear from you, what you got out of classroom to boardroom than for me to say it. So tell me, tell me where, where it really helped you the most. Yeah, for sure. So I think One way that it helped me is I'm going to give some tangible examples, but I have an intangible one first is that I think it was huge in helping me feel confident and feel like I was going to get a job. Like, I feel like I I had mentioned earlier, it it was 
very demoralizing at points. And I think your analogy about the gas pedal really fits in nicely because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all the things that everyone says that you need to be doing. Like what is missing? And then when I joined classroom to boardroom, that's what was missing in my case is like one, like getting those, you know, opportunities. And I will say like, I was at first, of course, like a little hesitant. I was like, no, is this going to be worth it? Like, I'm not sure. It 100% was. I mean, I joined and in my first month I was like, okay, like I'm new. Like that's probably, not, you know, I'm not going to get a lot of attention in, in group calls and opportunities. And that was so far from the case. Like I, you made me really a testament to you. Like you made me feel a part of the community really from day one. And really early on, I started getting... You know, I got an uh, an outreach from someone at eSpark for an uh, interview right away. I got, I can't remember the company now, but I got another person reach out and they said they saw my, you know, information on, on classroom to boardroom and just having like a place where you feel like I'm going to be recognized for what I have to offer. And it's going to be with someone that can parlay that into an opportunity was massive for me. Can and I then for one second. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Talk. Sorry. First of all, <laughs> thank you for saying that. And again, that is why this course isn't super cheap. Because if if, mm-hmm. it, if this course was $99, everyone would take it. And I would not right. be able on the coaching calls to say, Natalie, you're new. Welcome. Tell, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. quality for me. And two, right. for all of you listening right now that have been trying to find a new job, I want you to like did you hear what Natalie said? She's like, oh yeah, and there was that other company that I interviewed. I can't even remember who it was now. So like, isn't it funny like, when you were in that moment in time that was so important and you had to get that job or you needed to, yeah. now you can't even remember what company that was. I mean, yeah. isn't that funny? Like perspective, it time, is. like, it's go crazy, ahead. Sorry. Yeah, how it shifts. No, no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, so yeah. And and then I think in kind of more specifics, I feel like the modules were, were very helpful. I actually continued to watch them even after I started my job at paper, because, you know, as I mentioned before, like it's an entirely different culture. It's an entirely different lingo, even though I'm still in the education space. And I definitely felt more prepared for all of that from the different modules, like on Salesforce, on sales cycles, even like I, had a huge blinder my time in teaching. Like I never bothered to look into any of that stuff. So it felt me, it made me feel more confident on my first day. Cause I didn't have to be like, what does that mean? Cause I had learned about it already, which was nice. And then in the interview process, it was huge. Like even those group coaching calls, like my first group coaching call, I remember we did presentation skills. And then very soon after this, I got my first interview at paper and I had to do a presentation, a 10 minute presentation. And so it was super applicable. That's the other thing. Like, because even education companies, there's a lot of times there's performance tasks, there's very specific interviews. And I felt like so unprepared for those in the past. And after I was part of classroom to boardroom, that's the stuff that we worked on in those group coaching calls. And so it's all applicable. And then the last one, and then I'll be quiet, I promise. But the last one is um, (laughs) it's just the community because I did meet someone that had been in classroom to boardroom that worked for my company. And, you know, I reached out to her when I got my first interview and she was super nice and super helpful. And she met with me and kind of coached me through some different parts of the company, what they really value, gave me some pointers for the interview. 
And it just made me feel so much more prepared and so much more confident going into that interview. And I definitely think it made a difference. So yeah, I have opportunity, community, and then just like the actual information, all of it was really helpful. Oh, good. And it landed you where you are today. And that at the end of the day is what truly makes me happy. So (laughs) thank you for sharing that. Me Um, too. I want to wrap up with you talking about some of your soft skills and hard skills Mm -hmm. that you use in your job every day. And then finally, any advice that you have for, you know, final advice that you have for teachers in transition. Sure. Yeah. So I, I always let hard skills and soft skills is something that I've always been like, what's the soft skill? What's the hard skill? I know the difference, but then I'm always like, I feel like there's gray area, but the soft skills, (laughs) I feel like the soft skills that I probably use most daily, um, Communication, like effective communication is probably a really big one with both a startup and a remote culture. You have to be able to advocate for yourself. You have to be able to know when to ask for support. You have to be, you know, confident in pitching new ideas. So that's a big one. Um, Organization is huge. Again, like coming from classroom teaching, I had to be very organized, but also I had huge parts of my day that were super structured and I have a very flexible day now. I don't have, I have meetings that I have to go to and trainings, but I have huge sections of the day that I need to organize and prioritize my time and less like hard deadlines, but a lot of projects. So that's a big one. And then adaptability, which is something that I definitely feel like teaching prepared me for. In teaching, you're constantly adapting to what's happening in your classroom. No lesson is exactly the way you planned it. You have to make quick decisions and all of that applies in that startup remote culture as well. You know, I've been there since August and, you know, there's already so many things that are different and you just have to kind of not get frustrated and roll with the change and be prepared to adapt quickly and work with your team and problem solve. So I guess I threw in some extra ones there at the end. And then hard, (laughs) hard skills. Um, I would say for me with the, like the teacher development or the teacher training, a lot of it is content creation. So knowing how to use Canva and, you know, obviously like Google suites, of course. And then a lot of it is also social media creation. So like being proficient in Twitter and knowing how to make Instagram reels, TikTok, things like that. Um, and then I think a lot of part of my job is presenting. So I would add public speaking to that list and yeah. being engaging in your presentations And then I kind of throw this one in at the end, but I do think it's really important for my job. It's not a traditional, I guess, hard skill, but like actual knowledge of the education space is super vital to my role. Like teachers as a whole are some of the most skeptical audience members. And I get that. I was myself when I was a teacher, like, who is this? What are they talking to me about? And so knowing the education space, knowing different curriculum, knowing different best practices for creating resources like that all has help me and really help me connect with teachers to show them the value of the, of the platform. Awesome. Love it. Okay. What is your final advice? (laughs) You're sitting in front of someone who was you, you know, 10 months ago, what would you tell Mm -hmm. them? I would tell them two things. I would say, keep going. Find a community of support. That's number one. I'm going to lump those together. So work through the, the, areas that are going to be difficult, the times when you're demoralized, and that's when you need to have that community of support to lean on, whatever that looks like. And then the best advice that I feel like I would give is to 
constantly remind yourself that you have value and you will add value wherever you go. Do not sell yourself short. You know, teaching gives people so many essential skills that will be an asset to whatever company is going to hire them. And I think we sell ourselves short as a population a lot of times. Oh, I was just a classroom teacher. Like, no, that means you have so many skills that so many other people don't. So value yourself and just be confident that you will also add value. Love it. Perfect advice. Well, Natalie, (laughs) thank you so much for well, first of all, I just love hearing from you. I I miss you, but I it's yes. like I mean, now that my kids are getting older and I'm thinking about the fact that like my son's going to go to college in a couple of years, like I I relate things to being a mom a lot more these days, but I'm just going to say like <laughs> I do feel like in some way it's like you're my grown children and like yeah. I spent all this time with you and then all of a sudden you like fled the nest and I'm just yeah. like how you guys doing out there flying around and then everybody every once in a while somebody comes back to the nest and says hey I'm ready for my next job or I get to interview you I mean that's kind of, I'm full of all kinds of analogies today by the way yeah I love them though <laughs> thanks for coming back to the you know classroom to yeah. boardroom nest today and thanks um, for having me of course and and for sharing your advice and I always say this like I'm always here for you no matter what and uh, I'm really proud of you thank you that's a uh, greatly appreciated and always always nice to to hear and to know all right well if you are interested in learning more about classroom to boardroom even if you're just curious about what it would be like to work for an education company pop over to my brand new website, carrieconover.com. You're going to find blogs. You're going to find our free teacher community that's there for all teachers, no matter if you're staying in the classroom or leaving the classroom. There's job boards. There's a community there of educators waiting to support you. And until next time, my friends, hang in there and I believe in you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Classroom to Boardroom podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Classroom to Boardroom podcast.